1998 Best Picture nominated film had high expectations upon its release as the third collaboration between Jack Nicholson and writer-director James L. Brooks. After working together on broadcast news and Turns of Endearment, the latter, which netted each of them Oscar W's in 1984, as good as it gets, marks yet another reunion for this powerhouse combination. The storytelling of As Good As It Gets is just about as unconventional as its protagonist, and the film finds itself navigating a precarious balancing act to great success. But what makes this late 90s rom-com so beloved by so many? Why has it been held up as one of the golden standards of romance films to this day? Is this truly as good as it gets when it comes to romance films? Let's hold it and see if we can find the hidden humanity in As Good As It Gets to see what's it about. I'm your host, Ricardo Blade Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow, And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm swell, Rick. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. We're a little bit earlier today than usual, so I definitely am a little bit more sleepy than than normally but feeling all right i'm sorry that's my fault that's my fault it's not your (laughs) fault (laughs) you you you, just you 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 expressed something that you needed and i and i was like that is definitely something i can do okay all right not your fault don't take blame it's nine o'clock it's not like it's like six well it's something like that it's nine o'clock it's nine o'clock for you it's 11 o'clock for me right so like, so, let's not overblow uh, this here, people. Like, it's not that early. It's not like he's like, hey, can we get up at 5 <laughs> o'clock and record this? No, it's it's just earlier than we usually do it. Yeah, I, I've just been running into having to go to work right after. Mm. And I'd like to, you know, I'd like to go for a run. I guess I, I could get up at 9 o'clock and go for a run if I'm really honest about it. But No, that don't do know. that. <laughs> All right. Well, here we are. At least we're yes. here. Yes, we are coffee. here. Oh, good. I have my soda. Nice. Because I have an something I've started. Something I've started doing on my podcast is advertisements for things just around me. Um, <laughs> oh, plastic turtles! <laughs> yeah. Have you all bought a plastic turtle? <laughs> you should all get a plastic. This actually is very soothing. I I fiddle with this during. Most podcasts that we do, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and during our D and D games and stuff, I have so much stuff on my desk. That I just fiddle with. I have little gold coins. I have a fidget spinner. I need stuff to yeah. play with. Yeah. Something else I'm noticing is that like podcasts are just a good excuse to hang out with somebody. So uh, I like I have friends uh, that that I need to hang out with, and it's just like, well, why don't we just start a podcast so that way yeah. we can hang out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I will say we definitely have been hanging out more since the podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like uh, it's like that. Uh, it's like that mindset, the American mindset that it's only okay to do if you're working. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If it's like it's like you can't just do nothing. You have to be doing something productive, oh, yeah. and then yeah. it's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, this is neither here nor there. Maybe our viewers will have an opinion, but. Uh, uh, I got a, a so you remember Chris Robles? Yeah, I remember Chris Robles. Yeah, he he's wanting to start a podcast. He's been kind of like trying to start one and he's been doing it on his own a little but not mm. much. And so I'm thinking about being like, "Hey bro, do you want me to do it with you and just kind of produce it with him?" 
and it's a it's a really good concept. So it's uh, basically he interviews um, bartenders and just talks about like bar life and like crazy stories and stuff like that. And and then he's got like these Bill isms, which Bill was his old boss who passed away, um, who was kind of a very hard Chicagoan. Mm. And so every episode he talks he talks about Bill too. So it's I don't know. I think I think it could be cool. No, that, I think it's I think that's fun. Bartenders have amazing stories. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's why they're the quest givers in all Dungeons and Dragons and RPGs. They have all <laughs> yeah. the stories. Yeah, yeah, the true bards. Legend says. <laughs> no, <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but well, let's let's talk about this story. Yes. Yeah, speaking of which, Jeff, you picked as good as it gets. Why did you pick as good as it gets? Um, it was a suggestion from my girlfriend Sarah. Um, and I'd never seen it and I, I had known that it was kind of an influential film. So I wanted to check it out and the title, you know, hmm. I think the title k- grabs me a bit. So awesome. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, please thank Sarah for us. Uh, it's a fantastic, obviously fantastic movie. Um, like I said, like I said in the intro, one of the golden standards for contemporary romantic comedies, um, as far yeah. as that goes, uh, I mean, Oscar nominated film, it was nominated for seven Oscars and it won wow. two for wow. best, best actor and best actress. So Nicholson and, and Helen Hunt, congratulations. So wait, does this count as a comedy? Does it count as a comedy best actor win? I would say, a lot, I would say a lot of people count this as like a rom drum com. You know, a rom okay. dra- a rom dramedy. Well, because isn't there like only one winner of uh, only one best actor winner for a comedy? It depends. You know, like I said, it, it's it's arbitrary when you draw lines like that because like a lot of things have a, a touch of comedy, a touch of drama. This is like not overtly hilarious, but it's not like a straight drama because it definitely yeah. You know, there are more dramatic parts to it, but like most of the time, it's. Light, light. You know what I mean. So I would say yeah. this is definitely more comedic than dramatic. I would agree. So I would say yes. I guess this is, counts as a comedic win. I don't know. I, I'm looking. I'm trying to look it up right now. I know. Uh, I, I know that's a thing, though, right? Oh no! Yeah, comedies, comedy performances very rarely even get nominated, let alone win. So, okay, so this says Jack Palance won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in 1991 for his role as Curly in the comedic gym about a group of friends who visit a dude ranch. So it's, it sounds like there's only one that counts. So I guess this does not count as a comedic role. Right, it's because it's not straight comedic. It's like humor. Yeah. It's humorous. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But that's fair. But anyway, so yeah, let's talk about how this film came to be, just real quick. Um, so yeah, it was written uh, by the original script was written by Mark Andres, uh, who brought the script to uh, one you know wonderful director James L. Brooks, um, in hopes that he would direct it after he had uh, directed Terms of Endearment and uh, Broadcast News, which also both got Oscar nominations. Um, and, 
James uh, L. Brooks loved the script so much for its unconventional storytelling and kind of the the very weird way that this film kind of uh, uh, the story kind of unfolds that he bought it, produced it, directed it, and co-wrote it, which uh, be- ended up becoming as good as it gets. Originally, this film was called Old Friends. That was the original name of the script, which I don't quite get. Like what? Well, that- I mean, I guess he and Helen Hunt are old friends if you think about it. I mean, he's been eating at that restaurant forever. Yeah, but I wouldn't call them friends. They or barely like... Reference to the, oh, maybe it's in reference to the dog. Maybe it's the dog. I don't know. That's what, I guess that's my point. Like, it's like, I don't really understand what, what exactly that is referring to. There's like kind of stuff that makes sense, but I don't... It doesn't quite hit. As well, good as it gets, edited. maybe. That's true. Maybe, maybe it's maybe, changed. I mean, yeah, like maybe that, that like... He has been going to this restaurant for thirty years, and she's been working at this restaurant for thirty years. But mm-hmm. they changed that, yeah. Because but, they needed the interaction. But they didn't. They were trying other titles for this film all the way up until like a week before like trail the trailer and before all the posters were supposed to come out promotionally. Uh, so like they didn't have this title until like right before like all their promotional materials were getting ready to come oh, wow. out. So it like hit them right at the end. So, and I love this title as good as it gets. It's pretty good. And again, uh, it was nominated for seven Oscars, uh, Best Actor, Best Actress, um, Best Screenplay, Best Picture, Best Score, and Best Editing, Um, uh, which it won for the two performances, which makes sense to me considering that this film really is hung on the performances of Nicholson and and Hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which I think they both did an amazing, amazing job. Um, Something really interesting is uh, this is the third time that Nicholson and – uh, James L. Brooks have worked together. In terms of Endearment being the first one, uh, and Broadcast News being the second. Uh, Terms of Endearment, uh, Jack Nicholson won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor in that film, and uh, 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 James L. Brooks won an Oscar for that film as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then Broadcast News also got a Oscar nominations. Jack Nicholson didn't get one, but uh, so like they have a history of making some pretty great films together. Uh, whoever was the casting director in this film must have been the casting director for Scream as well. Yeah, because you see Skeet Ulrich, you see Jamie Kennedy. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, I was like, I was like, or back. also House. If you're a big fan of House, you might have noticed the couple, the the two, uh, the Jews sitting at. Uh, uh, oh yeah, his table were uh, Peter Jacobson and Lisa Edelstein, who uh, were both in House together. Do you know who was an extra in this movie? Oh, I saw um, the guy from uh, Remember the Titans. <laughs> I saw no, Harold no. Ramis. Who's the? I what's, saw. What, oh, Harold Ramis. Well, there's Harold Ramis. Who's the uh, lady from SNL uh, that does the hormone monster voice? Oh, I'm not sure. Oh shoot! Uh, shoot! This it, uh, uh, this is like atrocious that I don't know this lady's name right now. Um, hormone. Oh, I keep using I keep using my laptop. Keep using my laptop keyboard for my desktop, and it's <laughs> that's funny. Hormone monster voice. It's um. <sighs> female hormone monster. Female. Oh, Maya Rudolph. Sorry, Maya from, Rudolph. Yeah, not from SNL. Uh, sorry, I. I hor- Yes, you're talking about from big from from big mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Maya yeah, Rudolph. She, she, she's a little she girl. A, she's young. She's the cop. No, she's the cop. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the cop. 
Yes. She has one um, line. And I was, I'm like, that's that's Maya Rudolph. <laughs> yeah. Maya Rudolph. Yep. I didn't know that. I, when you said Hormone Monster from SNL, I was like, oh, from like on SNL. Like that, like a they did a sketch, a Hormone Monster sketch. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. No, no, Maya no, Rudolph. No. Oh my gosh. This yeah. film is full of, of, a, of a lot yeah. of well-known actors. Um, but uh, something interesting is uh, Jack Nicholson had a lot of trouble finding this character because this character is has a high degree of dis- difficulty as a performer because he, this character says and does some pretty heinous things, um, yeah. and yet we have to love him by the end. You know, like if you don't like him at the end, this film doesn't work. Well, you that's know? I mean, it's I mean, amazing. Jack Nicholson had to play this character mm-hmm. because like. He is the only one, the only actor I can think of that can be this detestable and you still love him. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just kind of his MO. Like, I don't, I, like, when you say it's difficult for him to find the character, maybe it was difficult for him to, like, settle into being himself, honestly. But, like, like that's Jack Nicholson. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, he just, he's got that seedy quality that we've talked about. Yeah. That, that under, undercurrent of, of, mm-hmm. Of I might say something really horrible to you, but mm-hmm. you're gonna love me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, him and him and uh, Brooks apparently had to like take like a week off of shooting to like really like work through the character together because he the, they they just couldn't you know find that balance of like really nasty but also empathetic, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they did find it obviously, and, and it came out really well. And this film. For a romantic, for this, like, and you know, because like it's not very plot driven, it's very much kind of the it just kind of ambles along. You're just kind of really following the characters, more of a character study than anything else. Um, yeah. This film grossed over three hundred fourteen million dollars worldwide, and that was in nineteen ninety seven, wow. which would equate wow. to over fifty five uh, five hundred fifty five million dollars today. So wow. this film was a smash success. Like insane, crazy, yeah. for this kind of type of film. I mean, this is like this is like the rom com, mm-hmm. right? Like this is like the best rom com of all time. It's considered debatably, mm-hmm. debatably. So yeah, so again, this is uh, directed by James L. Brooks, who uh, also directed Terms of wrote and directed Terms of Endearment, Broadcast News, I'll Do Anything, Spanglish, and How Do You Know, uh, and was co-written by Mark Andrus. Uh, who wrote Late for Dinner, Life as a House, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood, Georgia Rule, and So It Goes, and Otherhood, which just came out on Netflix a couple years ago. Um, but people might know Brooks a little bit better as the one of the producers and creators and minds behind the Merrily Tyler Moore show, Taxi, the Tracy Ullman show, and maybe his biggest credit, one of the original developers of The Simpsons. Mm. Yeah. So this guy, damn. Uh, pervades pop culture and throughout the era, uh, you know, anywhere yeah. you look, he's got fingerprints on something. <laughs> uh, but uh, that is the background of this film. We want to get into the meat of what this film is about. So before we do that, let's remind the folks at home what exactly this film is about. If they haven't watched it in a while or if they have never seen it, this is what the film is. This is what it is. Uh, here is what the IMDb is. and Rotten Tomatoes summary. Seth, do you want to guess today? Uh, let's not. I I don't know if this game is working. It I might like be. it. You like this game? I just like seeing I, I just, you struggle. 
it's just uh, I, I wish we had some viewers to it's guess. Fine. Uh, it's okay. Okay, I'll I'll just give the, uh, Here, the you, IMDb you, summary. Let's do it. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Maybe next week you do me. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, Melvin Udall is an obsessive compulsive writer of romantic fiction who's rude to everyone he meets, including his gay neighbor Simon. But when he has to look after Simon's dog, he begins to soften, and if still not completely over his problems finds he can conduct a relationship with the only waitress at the local diner who will serve him. That's the first one. The second okay. one. A single mother and waitress, a misanthropic author, and a gay artist form an unlikely friendship after the artist is assaulted in a robbery. The first one's Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah! I mean, I know the secrets now. Mm-hmm. I've figured it out. I figured Well, out now I'll have to start mixing in some other sites then. Yeah, yeah. Hey. So... All right. I mean, I I like the game element. I just mm-hmm. once you figure out the game, it's not a game anymore. So I don't know. We're gonna have to figure out how to freshen it up. Okay. Uh. So Seth, it's time for the titular question. The titular question. As good as it gets. What's it about? Well, um. I think it's I think it's about what is capable of changing us, right? Like I think it's about I think it's about the need to change and there are very few things that can change us, but if anything the thing that can change us is love. Right. Like love is really the only thing that can change someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it's weird. Like this movie is so it's the reason I think it's such a good rom-com is it's an anti-rom-com in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Like it's not it's not as cheesy or or like romance driven necessarily. It's more just about real people who like. I don't know. I mean, it is a rom-com mm. like it because I don't buy some of the choices that are made and I'm like, okay, so it's, it's like the least rom-com-y rom-com of mm. all the rom-coms, but it's definitely a rom-com. Right. Well, there's like a, there's a hint of, of like, oh, maybe they don't get together. You know, maybe they won't get together. Like maybe there is yeah. this like, there's this tension there, but maybe ultimately they don't get together at the end. Like that, like yeah. partway through the film, you're like, that could be still a satisfying ending. You know, that even yeah. though they don't get together, they still have had this positive impact on each other. Uh, uh, yeah. Melvin, uh, who has, uh, who is said to have some kind of obsessive compulsive, uh, you know, every, I don't think they say OCD specifically, if I remember, but he has some kind of, they do say OCD. Uh, they do say OCD. So yeah, they say he has a, a, a some OCD tendencies, um, and this uh, this waitress that he kind of falls in love with. But like halfway through the film, and like as things are going along, you're like, I would be okay if they didn't end up together, and I think they would be okay if they didn't end up together. You know? Well, they shouldn't end they up shouldn't. together. No. But at the same time, I mean, what something else I gleaned from it is like. 
it, for people that don't know how to have a relationship, any relationship is better than no relationship, mm-hmm. right? Like it's other people that push us outside of our boundaries and help us to grow as human beings. Mm-hmm. And like, um, and so maybe they shouldn't be together romantically, but like long term. Mm-hmm but at least they're helping each other grow as people, Mm -hmm. you know? And honestly, that's what I, my interpretation of this film was as far as like what I was getting out of this is like this idea of humanity and not, sometimes you're blind to, to your own humanity and being able to see humanity in others helps you find it in yourself. Right. Yeah. So like, It's not so, – so Melvin is so closed off to, to everyone, you know, due to a lot of his, his germophobia and, his, and his, uh, his tics and things like that. And the fact that he's just kind of a, a, a surly, prickly guy um, pushes people away. Um, and it isn't until this, like, dog starts to connect with him, even yeah. though – even to all his, his, his uh, resistance, yes, his yeah. resistance to it, this dog – likes him <laughs> so for some reason yeah 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 and it, it like as soon as that happens you see a very almost immediate change in in melvin it yeah. starts off small but you it is noticeable because when somebody is so far out one side of the spectrum any change is very noticeable um and so and and then like gradually he, he connects more and more so it's so interesting that all it took was this, this little bit of affection from this this, from this dog of- this is kind of a Scrooge story, you know what a I mean? Bit. It's just like a more realistic Scrooge uh, expression. Mm-hmm. Um, the dog, I mean, the dog. I, I so honestly, I related to this character a lot. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, um, I, I, I don't. I'm not obsessive compulsive like that, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely like. Um, I definitely have a lot of anxieties and fears that rule how I move through my world. And I do not like it when I don't get to move through my world the way I need to move through my world. Mm. And so like, I, I related to that in this character. Um, and the dog thing, you know, like, Mm. I didn't know I needed a dog until I got a dog, you know, and it Mm. really does just like, open you up as a human being to be like, Oh wow. I did not like, I didn't know I could love a thing like this, you know? Mm-hmm. Like when I, when I got Annabelle, um, like I, I was just like, this is my dog. Like I knew it was my dog mm-hmm. and, uh, it's just weird. It's just weird how, how you, how love gets in there when you least expect it and you don't, mm-hmm. and you don't have like any really any say, as to where it comes from, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, I mean, cause like, I don't like if we asked Melvin, if he wanted to experience the things he experienced, he would say, no, I think like he would just oh, like want to keep. Right. Well, I think, I think that's very clear in that in when they're driving, when, uh, him, Carol and Simon, his, his, uh, artist neighbor are driving to Baltimore <laughs> I think that's funny. That's funny that you relabeled him from what the movie. <laughs> oh, sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. What'd you say? No, I'm just saying. I think it's funny that that's the title you've given him, which is much kinder than what the film gives him. His, <laughs> His artist, artist neighbor. neighbor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
That's what he is. Yes, he is an artist and he is his neighbor, but it's not what Jack Nicholson's calls him. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, they're driving to Baltimore uh, to get money, uh, try and get money from uh, Simon, the the neighbor's parents. Uh, And they're asking him why he hasn't talked to his parents in so long. And he goes, starts going into some of his family trauma. And Nicholson, uh, Melvin, starts to try to interject his own traumas. Right, so yeah. it'd be like, oh yeah, what about this? So very clearly, yeah, of course. One he, of my... he would so rather choose not to be the way he is. Yeah. You know? Well, and Simon even asked him. Yeah, like he was like, on... oh, go ahead. I'm saying that that scene is one mm-hmm. of my favorite lines in the whole the whole film. Is mm-hmm. when he's like, "Do you like sad stories? Do you like sad stories? You want to hear some sad stories, mm-hmm. like, and." I don't know. There's something about that that is kind of relatable, you know. Well, well, he's a he's Melvin's a writer. He's a romance yeah. novelist. So yeah. like he makes his living and made a very good living off of writing about love, something that he seems to not really experience. Know how to experience, yeah. Or so it's so interesting. And, and and there's that great line that with the like receptionist at his publishing company's place, uh, where she like comes up and she's like, "I just have to ask you, like, how do you write women so well?" And he's like, "I I what does he say? Uh, I rem- I remove logic." I, I and think of reason. a man. Mm-hmm. I, I think of a man, and I remove it's uh, logic and accountability. Yeah. So like, and apparently that's a real quote from a real author. <laughs> that's yeah. what someone said yeah um i mean this i mean this jack nicholson character is a tough one for this day and age despicable like, yeah he would yeah, yeah. I mean, not it, racist homophobic yeah. sexist yeah. like crazy and yet and yet yeah you, you can't you help but, yeah and it, you can't help <clears throat> but like li- like him it's insane um but well, that's to, the real to, feat in this movie, I yeah. think, is is the – and another one of my favorite lines is, if you look at something long enough, you'll find its humanity. Yes, yeah. and, that's, and that's kind of where, like, my, like, I, my, like, whole thing with this theme is Simon kind of, like, almost states it. it honestly, Simon states a lot of the things. Because, like, very, in that very first scene in the opening, uh, when uh, uh, Melvin tosses Verdell, the dog, down the garbage chute. Yeah. And he says, uh, "If you know, I'll keep an eye out for your dog. I love. I hope you find him. I love that dog. He doesn't love the dog." And Simon says, "No, you don't love anything, Mister Udall. You know, yeah. that's. I mean, and then Simon's like the the basically like emotional thematic core of this film, and we see yeah, it. That's throughout. kind of like that's kind of like the antithesis of the save the cat moment. <laughs> it is. It's the it's the kill yeah. the dog moment. Yeah, the kill the dog moment. Or, yeah. <laughs> Or they, sometimes they call that the kick the dog moment. Usually it's 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 usually it's the opposite. It's not literally a kick the dog moment. So it's basically like save the cat is the protagonist does something that makes you like them, right? That's yeah. the save the cat moment. They rescue a cat. Oh my gosh, they must be they must have some good in them somewhere. And then there's something called the kick the dog moment. The kick the dog moment is something happens to the protagonist that makes you feel bad for them. Like you connect yeah. with them through empathy and sympathy. Less so as like a, a, a their humanity, right? 
Yeah. That that's not what this moment was, but no, 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 no. <laughs> but it's interesting no. that that like the dog was like it was played for laughs because the dog like slides down and you hear it like going down. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound like it's getting hurt. It just like ah. They, they quick they quickly recovered the dog. Yeah. So you know and it's perfectly not... fine. Yeah. Yeah. So they they made it, it's like no it's okay. You know Betty White was supposed to play Carol's mom in this movie or supposed to play a role in this movie. And she turned it oh, down wow. because because of that scene, oh, of the wow. dog getting thrown down the garbage chute. Because she's a she was a very avid uh, animal rights activist and things like that. Huh. So she was like, "I won't do this movie." Because I mean, it's messed up. That's yeah, messed up. that that like dog should be dead. <laughs> the fact that you can still like Jack Nicholson's character amazing. After he does that. Yeah. yeah, this is not a John Wick situation. It's a it's no. it's amazing. But um, yeah. To to continue on uh. The Baltimore route, there was that moment when they're in the hotel after Melvin had messed up things with Carol. They were having this romantic moment and he messed things up. He goes back and he, he starts to berate Simon because he likes to take things out on Simon. And he asks Simon, wouldn't it just be easier for you to not be gay, basically? Um, and and Simon turns around to him and is like, is your life easy? And yeah. And immediately he's like, fair point. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, yeah, no, he, he would choose not to have be the way he is. He would absolutely choose not to be the way he is. Um, cause it makes his life hard. Well, I, I'm arguing, I think that he, he is so com- like, he's gotten so used to the way he is. He doesn't want anything well, of course. To, to, to disrupt that. Right. You know, so it's, well, I mean, especially like, well, think about, think about the way that, like you just said, like the way that we are as neurotypical people, right? Yeah. We, yeah. we all get set in our ways and we very much get upset when things change, change scary and uncomfortable for everybody. Yeah. And that's neurotypical people. Now put that on someone who's neuro, you know, neuroatypical. Like it, yeah. it's so much more magnified in that way. And that it must be so hard for him to maintain any type of actual relationship because of his, all his, um, you know, all the things that he struggles with. Yeah. yeah. So like, I'm sure he, you know, we, we don't ever get to hear about this much about like what his like history is and things like that, but I'm sure he's struggled in his past with maintaining relationships, at least with his family, it sounds like. Um, well, and, and so he's... Oh, go ahead. If he's a writer too, if he's if he's a writer, like a romance writer, like it's hard for him to be fooled by love. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because he he is creating these scenarios in his head. You know, he knows all the tricks, so mm-hmm. he can like get past. Uh, he it's going to be really hard for him to have a real life romance because he does not. He can't let himself just let it be what it is. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because in his head, it's supposed to be he's he can create it, you know. Mm-hmm. He's spinning so. the the bullshit, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so he it's hard for him to experience it in for real. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. Um, but we absolutely have to talk about Simon here because you you brought up the line of like Simon talking about seeing you know sometimes you can see if you just wait. And hold, you can see people's humanity. So Simon 
is this artist. He's a he's a, he's a drawer and a painter. And the way he likes to paint is he likes to or likes to to create. He likes to just watch people. And he says that there's a moment when they think nobody's watching and nothing's going on where their inner humanity kind of shines through. Mm-hmm. And at that point is when he wants to capture them at their most human. Hold it. Hold it. Yeah, hold it. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> and I think that that's, that's something to say is that there is something hidden underneath all of us. There is a humanity hidden underneath people that we, because of the outside world and all these external factors, gets hidden away as we're distracted by everything. And there's only a few moments when those things like shine through and someone just has to be looking at you when that happens or else they're not going to see it. Right. And I think it makes sense that it's harder for, for anybody to see that in Melvin because he's so much more distracted by the outside world because of his OCD. The more things in the world distract him. Well, I I was like, something else I was thinking about with these kind of like pathologies is your fears and the things that make you anxious, like have kind of a, you, you wouldn't think, but they also make you more Mm self-absorbed, you know, because you're you're more focused on how things affect yourself. Yeah. 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 And so if you're constantly having to like deal with these anxieties, of course you're like, completely self-absorbed and cut off, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, it's, it's tragedy. Like the dude's a, in a prison of his own mind, mm-hmm. you know? And so how do you, how do you connect with somebody who, who is mm. completely closed off? Yeah. Um, I, you, you said you related to Melvin a lot. I, I, I less related to Melvin, but I, kind of like what you're saying here. I kind of understood that this idea of having someone in your life that is so affected by uh ex, you know these external factors that it, cre- it creates a the a a bubble for them where they they have to be so self like you said self-absorbed. Some might even say narcissistic or egotistical yeah. because these external factors just affect them so much that they can't see past the fact that how it's affecting them. And it makes them, it makes the people that they love and the people around them makes our lives a little bit more difficult because we have to then accommodate these, these things that this person needs or else it makes life a nightmare for the rest of us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally, totally relate to that. And it, it, but deep in down, like I know that that person in my life is struggling with so much stuff, and and that, yeah, like it. That's it's hard on us too, but at the same time, it's way harder on them, you yeah. know. And it it, it kind of just hurts everybody. And sometimes that stuff all comes to a head, man. And it's it's hard for everyone. And so, yeah. for me, I kind of related almost like more to Carol. In a lot of different ways, or or si- even Simon in a particular way of like Simon. Car- Carol's messed up too. Carol's messed up too. Yeah, that's the thing yeah. about this movie is all these characters are broken and 
bro- broken humanity. You know, like yeah. Simon seems like he's okay until he's assaulted and, and beaten to within an inch of his life. And then he's, he's realizing that he is, his, his own humanity was really fragile. Um, yeah. and obviously yeah. Melvin, Melvin's has locked his humanity away. Um, keeping it away from everybody. And Carol, um, Carol's whole identity has been about taking care of her sick kid. And and then yeah. once he starts getting the medical attention that he needs, she realizes she doesn't even know who she is anymore if she's not caregiver. And yeah. she's afraid of Well, and she's that, also angry. Like she's, that she's just lost. Angry at, yeah. Well, and she's I don't think I think she's mad at most men. Mm. And and so like she could just funnel that anger into the health system because it was a distraction. Mm-hmm. But I think I think she's angry at men, mm-hmm. um, because I mean I mean we don't know what happened to her husband or we don't know what happened to the kid's dad. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I think I think she's hardened herself towards relationships because mm-hmm. I mean rightfully so. And, and we and we get a sense of that in the scene where she's coming home from her date. She brings her date home with her. Yeah. We learn that she doesn't have a bedroom, that she sleeps in the living room, basically. Um, yeah. Her mother and sick kid sleep in the bedroom. Uh, they don't have any doors. Uh, it's all curtains. And she's trying to get down with this, this guy. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, her her sick kid needs her, so she has to go attend to them, him. And, uh, like, there's a moment where she has, like, some, like, mucus or, like, vomit on her, like, dress – and this guy, like, gets pretty grossed out by it. Um, and there's and her response is, "So what do we? So what are we gonna do? Am I gonna like write down all the trains that you need to take to get home, or uh, are we gonna <laughs> are we gonna get down? Like the way she responds to it is so like snarky and like defensive. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's like and like and she's been through asked. this. Like she's been through this before. And he reacts honestly, like pretty reasonable. Like, like he, like, yeah, he's kind of painted as a little bit of a jerk, but it's like when you think about it, like, no, he's right. He's like, he says this is a lot of reality on a Friday for a Friday night. Yeah, like he's hit with yeah, a I whole mean, bunch of heavy stuff all at once. Sarah was even like, I kind of agree with him. Like, like it's yeah, it's a lot for. Um, for anybody, first especially date. in like a romantic, yeah, first date, romantic setting. And the way she treats him is like kind of like a kid. Like you're just a, a man, you're like you're just mm. a man that's here for my my pleasure, mm-hmm. maybe. Well, she know? laughs at him when he's, you know, you know, he's yeah. doing some weird stuff, but she like laughs at him. She she yeah. berates him a little bit, like like gives him some shade when he like is grossed out by the vomit. Like most people are grossed out by vomit. You're desensitized. Like, yeah. like if, if some random person's vomit. If I put my hand in some random person's vomit, I might be a little grossed out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so. Uh, she's, she's no, she's, she's not a, uh, no mental health. Uh, no, 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 no model of mental health. No. And she has that, that great scene where she, she's writing the note to Melvin and her mom asked her like, like, like what's, what's wrong? Like what's wrong with you basically? Like, yeah. Like, we like we finally have this blessing in that Spencer, our, your son, can get all the medical attention he needs, and we don't even have to worry about paying for it. 
Like it's all taken care of. Like he can live basically, you know, because yeah. like, and you, so why are you still so like angry? Why are you still, why aren't you ready to like start living basically? And she, yeah. she talks about, I don't even know the person that I am anymore. Like I've gotten so far away from, from being a, a human being, you know, yeah. that I don't, I'm scared to even look at myself anymore which I yeah. think is such a powerful moment um, of like sometimes I, and that's something I really connected with and maybe why I connect with Carol a lot is sometimes when you put your head down, to, you know, to grind to the grindstone, when you look up, you look at yourself and you're like, Oh, I'll, this is not the person I remember when I look down. Yeah. Um, I don't want to well, look at another, I don't want to look at this person. It's another distraction. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like, well, there was, uh, what was the line? There was one line about not looking at yourself. Uh, uh, is it when uh, Simon's in the hospital? Uh, I can't remember, but but basically, like, yeah, like um, Helen Hunt's character, she she has been so focused. She's just used her kid as a distraction, you know, uh, to, to keep from focusing on herself and what she needs to, how she needs to grow. Um, and so, yeah, like she's just as a prisoner in her own mental state. It's, it's way less like pronounced as, uh, it's way less pronounced than, than Melvin but she is just as like closed off. Exactly. Yeah. And she hasn't, she hasn't taken a look in the mirror in a long time and she hasn't assessed herself and allowed her ex to actually experience life, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, I think that's, it's interesting. That's, that's something like, I, I'm 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 a new uncle this week, right? Like I just had mm -hmm. a, a a a baby niece, and um, it's weird how when you're a kid, things are so different, and time moves differently, and you can experience so much more of existence. You know, like you're so much more in tune with how you're actually supposed to behave mm -hmm. and then you get taught how to behave and you, you lose that connection. I mean, this is going mm -hmm. back to almost some of the stuff we talked about last week, but like your ability to be open is bogged down by your fears and anxieties and your stresses. And, and then you're not able to actually connect with people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. No, I totally get that, man. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I work at a company that, you know, I spend 30 hours a week with children under the age of five. Um, yeah. And I, so I see exactly what you're talking about. And particularly we have some families who are, who have children with special needs, right. Um, yeah. Across diff a few different types of uh, conditions and things like that. Um, and something that's the hardest thing to deal with is the way that they sometimes have expectations for those children. Um, 
they they expect them to behave or they expect them to learn and grow and do things as efficiently and as quickly and in the same way that neurotypical children do. Yeah. And that's not fair, right? It's not fair right. to expect a child who's neuroatypical to to learn and to grow and to experience things the same way as a neurotypical child. And the expectations that they put on those kids is so hard and so unfair that like and I can see that in Melvin, right? In that the way that like his father, you know, he said used to like smack his hands to like until he played his piano, you know, perfectly right. And so it's like, yeah, it it it, it reminds me of that. And like these, like, what does that do to a, a, a child who's neuroatypical? Uh, how does that it close them off to people? It. Exactly. Like people are just going to hurt me because I, I'm not doing things the way they want me or need me to do them. So I'm just going to yeah. close myself off and control and have control over my world. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, honestly, like that's tempting. That's a tempting thing. To, I think we all want, we all want, if we all had the choice, we would all have perfect control over our lives. I yeah. think like to be yeah. the way, exactly the way we want it, exactly the way it's, we want it to be all the time. We would. So, so we got to like address the title of the film, mm-hmm. right? Like, so maybe that's as good as it gets. Like is as good as it gets is when someone forces you outside of your comfort zone. Like, like maybe that is what is well, meant I, by as ex- good as it gets. Exactly. Well, the way I think of it is, is, is this idea of, is the way that I'm living as good as it can possibly be, right? Yeah. Like, like for 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 Melvin, he goes to his psychiatrist's office, who he hasn't seen in years. Um, he bursts in and like demands a session, uh, and he gets kicked out. And he stops into the waiting room with everybody that's waiting for their sessions. And he looks at me and he goes, "You guys, do you guys ever wonder if this is as good as it gets? Like, the the condition and the state that I am in right now is as is as good as I am ever going to be." This 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 is the first time I think Melvin's questioned himself and the person that he is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He I hate pills, you know? You you I, I hate pills and I use the word hate. He's like, and after I met you and after we had that talk, I started taking the pills. Yeah. Yeah. You make me want to be a better man. This is one That's of my favorite well, lines. Yeah, I disagree. I well, I mean it's a it's a good line. But I, it's a screwed up speech. Well, it's, here's the thing: it's it is a dangerous thought process that other people are going to validate you. Other people are going to, or is what's going to make you better, right? It's also kind of like puts a lot of pressure on her. It puts a lot of pressure on her, and then he says something else like so, shortly after that, like I'm the only one that can love you this way like i'm the only one that can see oh you. oh he he says yeah he's the only one that does see her that she's the most yeah, amazing yeah. woman in the, and in that's the a little bit like gaslighting especially after you said you've made like i don't know like there's like a pretty toxic oh thing he's he is problematic to the max that is for sure yeah um yeah. but i do for like sure. this idea that like what you're saying like other people are what is going to cause you to question your your stasis, right? We all yeah. our our natural inclination is to find homeostasis, is to find balance yeah. and to find a comfortable spot where we can just exist. Like, and other people 
change that stasis. Um, yeah. And you're not going to know if if you what you're the way you're living is your best life. You're not you don't know if you're living your best life until someone comes in and shakes you up and makes you ask, is is this as good as it gets, or can it be better? Can I be better? Can we be better yeah. together? It it's it's weird. I mean, like that 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 line that this title of this film is such a loaded title, you know, and it if if you are somebody that that suffers from anxiety or depression, like that's something that creeps into your mind, you know, mm-hmm. like is this is is like am I ever going to be happy? Like mm-hmm. is this is as good as it gets? Is this dull sadness? And it's weird. It's like the a really good example for me is my dog. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, like I didn't know that that joy existed until it showed up, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's the things that can creep past our mental, our mental prisons, mm-hmm. the things that somehow get in and, and those are the things that change us. Like, you know, like, you know, he, he didn't know that, is it Jill? Her name's Jill. Is it Jill? Which one? Helen Hunt's character. I was, I was Carol. Carol. <laughs> um, like he didn't know how much Carol meant to her, meant to him until she wasn't there one day, mm-hmm. you know? And then he figures out that that's like a major part of who he is, is seeing her. And mm-hmm. it forces him to go outside of his comfort zone mm-hmm. to go seek her out like no what's, this part what's, of me yeah uh well what's crazy is we we know that he's a germaphobe because we when he interacts with cuba gooding jr's character frank he's the you know and he's and when he's walking down the street he's, he keeps saying don't touch don't touch don't touch like he doesn't yeah, want yeah, people yeah. to touch him he gets very afraid but we see helen hunt's character touch him and he and he's okay with it okay so right away we know there's something different about the way he sees her yeah. Even if he doesn't realize it yet. She touches yeah. him across the waist and he d- barely bats an eye. And this is like the the magical thing, I think, or like where you can see how love works in its intricities. Like it like like minutia mm-hmm. is like for some reason the things that are your rules can be broken if it's a powerful enough connection. You know, um, and you don't know always where that is going to come from. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, I mean, even like, like a perfect example, like a really simple example is like Simon, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I don't think he intended on being gay, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, this is a classic example, but like, he can't help who he mm-hmm. loves, you know what I mean? And this is you know, that's, it's like I said, it's a classic argument. Like, Mm. um, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm spiral. I haven't, I don't have a clear, clear. uh, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll take the ball. (laughs) Um, no, I totally get what you're saying, man. You, you only, you can't control everything in your life. You can't control who you are. So like what you end up doing is you end up finding somewhere where you could just be with the least resistance, yeah. right? So for Simon, his family, 
had an issue with him being being gay, um, and his dad gave him much money. And said never come back. Right, like don't don't right. ever come back. Um, and so Simon found a life where he could be himself with the least amount of resistance. You know, he's an artist in New York City. Everybody loves him. You know, he's successful. He owns a nice apartment by himself. He has a studio, yeah. a garden, a dog. Like, he's doing well for himself. He has literally no resistance in his life other than his yeah. neighbor. <laughs> um, he found a life that's comfortable for him, and then something came in and completely wrecked it. Yeah. And he had to, he had to grow, he, you know? And I don't know if he would say he's better, but he does say – you know, after he's gone through and he's had this experience with, with Carol and, you know, with his parents, a weight has been lifted. You know, he's like, I was holding on to that by staying away from my life for so long. And now this event happened and I've had to confront something that I've been hiding from for so long. So maybe, yeah. I don't know if he would say like his life is better, but it has improved in some ways. I think he's a richer person. Like I think he would say he's a he's a better person. His life might like, not be better, but he's better. I mean, the the contrast from like the relationships even Simon has from the beginning of the film to the end of the film, like the those relationships at the beginning were very superficial. Mm-hmm. You know, like party life, you know, just like having yeah. people over and by the end of the film, I mean, he has like real deep connections. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and they came from places he didn't expect mm-hmm. and, and Helen Hunt even says to him, like, well, maybe all this stuff happened to you for a reason, you mm-hmm. know? And I, you can't help, but you can't help but wonder or hope that the, the things that you struggle with and the, the like bad things that happen to you in your life are helping to propel you towards guess your true happiness right mm. so so i don't know man i guess this is like this concept as good as it gets is one for me that i struggle with as a human being like mm. i i have deep fear um that i'm not living up i have horrible fomo you know mm. of like of everything like Soon, I, I, I have a really hard time just being comfortable in my own place. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. You know what's funny is, and you know this about me, I'm kind of the opposite. Where I yeah. have a more of a tendency to isolate, right? Like I have way more of a tendency to not want to engage in like yeah. going out, seeing friends. I would much rather go home and be by myself. Which is weird. Yeah. But a lot of people that know me would think that I'm super social and I'm super extroverted, right? Yeah. But my my inclination is to to, to ra- is rather to go and be by myself. Um, yeah. And for me, you're one of those people that came into my life and shook shook me up and does push my boundaries and does get me. You get me to do more things and go out and do more stuff than almost anybody else in my life does. Like you, you, you would think you struggle. You, you probably get me to do more stuff than almost anybody. Well, so you're one okay. of those people for me. <laughs> I know well, you don't think well. that, but it's true. You know, so like 
you're like my like Simon, you're my Carol, you're my Verdell. You're one of those things in my life that like has continued to try and keep get me out of that comfort zone of me just going home, being in my my one bedroom and never coming out other than to to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cuz that's what I would do most of the time. Well, that's I mean that is man why is this so hard for me today it's like like there's there's something about there's like a mental block here mm-hmm. about this movie um like that is that is what jack nicholson's doing right like mm-hmm. he is closing himself off so that way he doesn't have to feel bad feelings mm-hmm. you know and I guess what the the table like the the turn of the tides or like the tables when they mm-hmm. turn is is like man we're, we're there's so many themes that we just like keep touching on mm-hmm. and it's like you want it to be worth it if you're gonna go outside of that mm-hmm. you know and it's painful like it's painful to go outside of that and is it worth it? I don't know. I mean, maybe this is like, maybe this is as good as it gets. Mm. So it's like, it's a question that has no real answer. I don't think, Mm -hmm. but like, like me, I'm somebody that has pushed myself outside of my comfort zone a lot. Right. Like Mm. that's something like I do and then it's over like, and, and then I'm back to just my own stasis, you know, Mm. and then that stasis makes me sad. So it's like, it's weird. Like the other, so the other night I went out, um, we had a baby shower to go to and uh, we played this dumb game where if you said baby, you had to like take somebody's clothespin, like everybody gets a clothespin and you collect Mm -hmm. clothespins. And I, I got ahead. I was tied for, for like first place. And like I had five and this other girl had five. And they were like, dance off, you know, like you guys have to do a dance off to, to, uh, to, to, to see who wins. And I can dance, like, believe it or not, I can Mm -hmm. dance. And uh, so I'm like stoked. I like start throwing down and like, suddenly I am, I am living my life. Like I was, I was miserable kind of this whole party, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly I'm able to like take center stage and like have a good time and like reach out and be this thing I want to be. And I mean, that's scary, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it's da- like, and then like what, what ended up happening was she like showed up and, and like she was reluctant to, to do the dance off. We did the dance off and then I kind of gave it to her because she tried so hard. So I was like, yeah. But then, so here's here's my whole point of the story, is like as soon as I went back, as soon as I got, came out, like sat down, like the first words out of my mouth were, and now that's over. Like, oh, Dude, it's over. You hit on something that I have not been able to explain to people exactly. So I feel the same way after I go and audition for something. Yeah. So, so I auditioned for a film a couple of years ago, 
that is supposed to be coming out soon. Um, and the audition process was several, you know, there was a couple of like video self tapes and then there were a couple of like in person uh, with the director and the producer and stuff like that. And like you said, like, like w- I went in, I came alive during the, during the, the, the audition and like, I was feeling great and I was going, and I was feeling good. And then as soon as I got in my car and I sat down, I felt this weird rush of just like a crash of, I don't want to say depression, but it was like just an overwhelming sadness as soon yeah. as that was over. Yeah. It was, and I don't know how to express that. Like I always call it like post audition blues. Yeah. This is that feeling of like you're out, you're doing this like heightened high thing. And then as soon as it's over and you go and sit in your car and you're like, well, that moment's over. Yeah. Yeah. And now I just have to sit and like be me again. So yeah. I totally I, understand that. And so, yes. And, and there's something about like, even pursuing things like that, like, <laughs> I, I'm trying to get there, man. I'm trying to get there with this. Uh, maybe you just I'm need you, have, you need more time to to really maybe maybe it, really process. Well, I guess it. what I mean is is like like Jack Nicholson's character, like experiencing relationships and love means also that those relationships and love have to end at some point. Mm-hmm. Like some something that he says in this movie that like caught me was he was like I'm very intelligent. He's like, I'm very intelligent. You were going to have to do a better job explaining this to me. Like, and, and that, and I think that's, I think that's it. Like he's, he, he's so smart. He thinks his way out of, of having experiences because mm-hmm. he's like, what's the point of having them? You know, like, and, and that's, it's kind of like what I'm saying with, with, with my experience the other night. It's like, it's like, I'm glad that experience happened, but now I'm sad that experience is over. So like, like if that's what happens, if I, if I, even with good, like even when good things happen on the other side of them, I'm like, I'm like, well, now I have this thing to lose, you know, or I have, I have like fear that it'll never happen again. Or, like something I I'm uh, notorious for is like I hate leaving a party, I hate it. I hate being the last, like the first one to leave or or having to leave. Like I really really want to to it. Maybe maybe I'll take it. Maybe for me personally, I am so like I like life so much that it depresses me. Does that does that make sense? Mm. Like I want to experience things so bad that it depresses me because eventually it'll be over. And so maybe that's, I don't know. Uh, I'm just trying to like bridge the gap here between Melvin and myself. And I think Melvin does. I mean, he's a, he's a romance novelist, right? So like he clearly has high expectations for what love should be. And, and he's probably figured it out more than most people, you know, but he's so afraid of, of, 
of experiencing it that he doesn't know he ends up everything goes out the window mm. you know and then he's like insults her that that was the roughest thing man when he's like he's like eh, they make me go get a jacket and you're wearing a house dress and it's just like why are you like why are you doing that you know like you just you just can't be vulnerable no yeah no it's all a defense mechanism and he does it he does it too with like uh when he is getting berated about about taking the you know getting people away from his table at the restaurant you know they're like if you do that again like we're not gonna let you back and he immediately fires back with like insulting her sick kid you know yeah and so like it's just his way you know when people come at him force him out of his comfort zone he immediately lashes out that's which is what he does because he is afraid of being vulnerable and um, we, it's nice that we see him get there at the end, or at least make progress by yeah. letting Simon move into his place and Verdell and going to apologize to Carol and, and putting himself out there. Like that's really hard for him. And it was nice to see and it. Think, and it, it gives us all a little hope too. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I think that is as good as it gets is progress. Like progress as good as it gets is moving the dial in the right direction a little bit mm-hmm. and allowing others to push us there. Yeah. 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 I don't agree. Like this is, I mean, I, I feel like we're coming to a natural mm. landing here, even though I don't feel like I said anything. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I, 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 I don't agree. Like I agree with the message this film is mm-hmm. sending and trying to send. I don't agree with the plot and I don't agree like well yeah i don't agree i i think it it is a ro- it is it is false it is a romantic comedy mm-hmm. like i think the characters are done perfectly but i don't i don't believe this story it is a fairy tale i, I i'll agree with you in that in that the plot is not its strongest thing it's the characters and it's the message that this film is buoyed by because the plot is whatever it's it's well, and, you believe the people i don't believe uh, well, the plot unfortunately damages the characters a because bit. I don't believe I don't believe Helen Hunt would have made End up the with him she made. or or like even kiss him like I just mm. don't like that whole restaurant scene where she kisses him is so wrong like it's just not it's not real and um. Like if that had never happened, if they had never kissed the whole movie and just like enjoyed each other's company, maybe I would feel differently, but I just don't see, I just don't like, that's where this thing falls into the genre of rom-com. Like, it's so interesting you say that. It, it's it's forced. It's what's funny is, so uh, they, they were supposed to kiss in the, in the bar scene, but at the end of the movie, that last, those last kisses, that wasn't in the script. The, as they were fil- filming that scene, the director just suddenly said, shouted, kiss her, just kiss her. And like, so like that wasn't originally supposed to happen. They weren't supposed to kiss at the end. Yeah. It feels like movie magic. And, and it, it's like, honestly, it, it kind of, it, was, it wasn't originally supposed to be in there. So yeah. that's interesting that you felt that way, but we, you're absolutely right. We are, and I, I, I want to be respectful of your time because I know you got stuff going on. Um, and we kind of went to the time we normally go to. 
<laughs> Sorry. Well, I mean, I, we're learning that, like, I think as we dive into these uh, movies and we're trying to figure out what it's about, like, we can keep diving, you know, mm -hmm. like we're, we really are trying, like I, I personally have felt benefit from these conversations in my life lately. Like mm -hmm. I've listened back to some of the things we've said and I'm like, Oh wow. Like, yeah. Like I, I, there is, there are things to learn about and, and, mm -hmm. and remember and like bringing them to the forefront of my, my mm -hmm. mind more often. I'm, I, I, I feel like I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking about the duality of humanity and I'm thinking about like, the difficult, like, I don't know. It's, I think we're doing a good thing here, man. I really do. I, I'm glad. Um, and I would very much love for our next, uh, uh, film that we're going to watch, uh, to bring on a, a new friend. Uh, oh, yeah? yeah. So, uh, for our next film that we're going to be watching, uh, we're going to be bringing on, a actor, writer, burgeoning director, poet, and all around awesome person. And my roommate, Justin Powell. Yay! Uh, yeah. Justin is going to be joining us on next week's podcast. And Justin wants to talk about the Batman. The new Batman. The new one. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got, that means I got to go to the movies. I know. So, yes, right now, uh, for us, it is currently in theaters. By the time this podcast comes out, it might be. It might It'll not. still be in theaters. Probably. It'll, You'll probably yeah. be able to still catch it. Um, if not... Things come out on home, you know, for home viewing earlier and earlier these days. I'm sure you'll be able to see it soon. Um, but please uh, go check out the Batman in theaters if you want to watch along with us. If not, you can always hop this one and come back to it after you've been able to see it. Um, you haven't seen it yet, right? I have not seen it yet, so okay. I got to go see it as well. Um, so All yeah, right. we are going to be go going to discuss. The Batman next week, and we will see you all again. Thank you for watching the What's It About Film podcast. Please follow us on Instagram at the What's It About Film podcast, uh, and uh, follow our man Seth here. Seth, go ahead and uh, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, if you want to check out uh, me as I venture into the void and all in search of all things comedic and meaningful, uh, check me out at on Spotify or Apple Music on the Crowcast. That's the space. C-R-O-W-E-C-A-S-T, all one word, The Crowcast. Awesome. And you guys can find me, uh, my personal pages uh, are, are at Ricardo Blade Diaz. That is my full name, R-I-C-A-R-D-O-B-L-A-Y-D-E-D-I-A-Z, all one word on TikTok and Instagram. And please follow uh, our Dungeons & Dragons uh uh, channel, which is at character player on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, you can find Seth, both Seth and I on that show and Justin as well as one of our DMS. Uh, so uh, please check that out as well. Thank you all so much. We hope you all have a wonderful week. We will see you next time. Bye. Adios.